If you have your Bible, go ahead and open up to Acts chapter 13. Acts chapter 13 is where we are headed this morning. Uh, Throughout the season of Easter, uh, which is not just the day of Easter, but, but 50 days of remembering and celebrating, seven weeks of celebrating the resurrection, throughout this season, we have been dwelling in this passage that we've just read, this encounter with Jesus on the way to Emmaus. And one of the phrases from that passage is when Jesus says that, uh, or when Jesus talks to these disciples, and, and it says that he tells them all the scriptures concerning himself, right? That was one of the pieces that, that was pointed out today. All the scriptures concerning himself. And so, along with this passage, we have been, throughout the past few weeks, looking at uh, many of the times that those disciples who Jesus had taught uh, all the scriptures concerning himself, the, the things that they went on to proclaim, right? Luke does not tell us which passages it is that Jesus pointed to, but throughout the book of Acts, we can hear the disciples declaring some of those passages that speak to the resurrection of Jesus. And so several weeks ago, we looked at Acts chapter 2, where Peter preached the first ever Christian sermon on the day of Pentecost. He pointed to Joel chapter 2 to describe the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. He pointed to Psalm 16 to describe and proclaim the resurrection of Jesus. The next week, we looked at Acts chapter 3, where Peter preached another sermon to another group of people, uh, this time outside of the temple. And he pointed to the covenants that God made with their ancestors, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Uh, And then also the words of the prophets, particularly in this sermon in uh, Acts chapter 3, alluding to Isaiah a great deal, as he proclaimed Jesus' resurrection once more. Then last week, we looked at Acts chapter 7, where Stephen responds to some accusations that have been brought against him. And he responds by retelling nearly the whole story of Scripture. That's the longest recorded sermon in the book of Acts. It belongs to Stephen. It's almost the uh, uh, the entirety of Acts chapter 7, which we read most of last week. Uh, And he responds by summarizing much of Genesis, Exodus, Joshua, Samuel, Kings, just this, this thread through this narrative through Scripture. And he highlights, as he tells that story, how often it is that God's people had rejected God's prophets. And he more than suggests that the audience in front of him was just another group of people rejecting God's prophets, rejecting Jesus himself. And as you may recall, uh, this sermon that Stephen preached was not well received. They became angry, and they dragged him away, and they stoned him to death. And Stephen's death would become its own proclamation of resurrection, as he becomes the, the first ever Christian martyr. But at the end of Stephen's story, we meet another character. 
At the end of Acts chapter 7, it says that the crowd dragged Stephen out of the city and began to stone him. And then it says, Meanwhile, the witnesses laid their coats at the feet of a young man named Saul. Saul. And then the very first verse of chapter 8 says, And Saul approved of their killing Stephen. In the following verses of Acts chapter 8, Luke describes how Saul becomes a passionate persecutor of the church. He actively seeks out disciples of Jesus and has them dragged off and arrested or killed, seeking to destroy the church. And and he very easily could have become, in the rest of the book of Acts, the, the prime villain of the early church. But God's story always has surprising twists. You see, much like those two disciples on the road to Emmaus had a surprise encounter with Jesus, this Saul character has an unexpected encounter with Jesus on another road to Damascus. And, and I, love, I love how Jesus never waits for us to arrive, right? He always meets us on the way, right? It's on the road that he has these encounters. Jesus isn't waiting for us to, to get where we're going. He meets us right where we are. And so Saul is on the way to Damascus to seek out and destroy the disciples of Jesus there whenever suddenly this bright light appears. And Jesus himself speaks to him. And so Saul is shaken by this encounter, and he is never the same again. Afterward, he's met by one of Jesus' disciples named Ananias, who blesses him and baptizes him. And then Saul ends up spending some time learning from the very disciples in Damascus who he had come to kill. He spends some time with them. He learns from them, and very quickly he transforms from one of the primary persecutors of Jesus' disciples to one of the primary proclaimers of Jesus' resurrection. It's it's incredible. Along the way, Saul befriends another disciple named Barnabas, who brings him to Jerusalem to introduce him to the apostles, who he continues to learn from. And over time, Saul and Barnabas become uh, a missionary team. There are multiple times that they travel out, journey out together to keep spreading this news. And so in chapter 11, they go to Antioch to teach the disciples there. And then in chapter 13, they are sent even further away to continue sharing the good news of Jesus. Now, as Saul heads beyond Jewish territory into Greek areas, he comes to be called by a different name that we are much more familiar with, Paul. Paul is very simply the Greek form of the name Saul. Um, And so he comes to be known by Paul. So Paul and Barnabas journey together on this mission that brings us to our passage today. Acts chapter 13, where we will hear another sermon from the early church, this time a sermon from Paul. So one Sabbath, while Paul and Barnabas were traveling on their mission, they attended synagogue. 
They went to the synagogue gathering. And after the reading of Scripture, a leader of the synagogue invites them to speak, saying, Brothers, if you have a word of exhortation for the people, please speak. And so Paul accepts this invitation, and we hear his first recorded sermon. So let's read Acts chapter 13, beginning in verse 16. Standing up, Paul motioned with his hand and said, Fellow Israelites and you Gentiles who worship God, listen to me. The God of the people of Israel chose our ancestors. He made the people prosper during their stay in Egypt. With mighty power, he led them out of that country for about 40 years. He endured their conduct in the wilderness, and he overthrew seven nations in Canaan, giving their land to his people as their inheritance. All this took about 450 years. After this, God gave them judges until the time of Samuel the prophet. And then the people asked for a king, and he gave them Saul, son of Kish, of the tribe of Benjamin, who ruled 40 years. But after removing Saul, he made David their king. And God testified concerning him, I have found David, son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. He will do everything I want him to do. From this man's descendants, God has brought to Israel the Savior, Jesus, as he promised. Before the coming of Jesus, John preached repentance and baptism to all the people of Israel. As John was completing his work, he said, Who do you suppose that I am? I am not the one you're looking for, but there is one coming after me whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. Fellow children of Abraham and you God-fearing Gentiles, it is to us that this message of salvation has been sent. The people of Jerusalem and their rulers did not recognize Jesus, yet in condemning him, they fulfilled the words of the prophets that are read every Sabbath. Though they found no proper ground for a death sentence, they asked Pilate to have him executed. When they had carried out all that was written about him, they took him down from the cross, laid him in a tomb, but God raised him from the dead. And for many days he was seen by those who had traveled with him from Galilee to Jerusalem. And they are now his witnesses to our people. We tell you the good news. What God promised our ancestors, he has fulfilled for us, their children, by raising up Jesus. As it is written in the second Psalm, you are my son, today I have become your father. God raised him from the dead so that he will never be subject to decay. As God has said, I will give you the holy and sure blessings promised to David. So it is also stated elsewhere, you will not let your holy one see decay. Now, when David had served God's purpose in his own generation, he fell asleep. He was buried with his ancestors and his body decayed. But the one whom God raised from the dead did not see decay. Therefore, 
my friends. I want you to know that through Jesus, the forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. Through him, everyone who believes is set free from every sin. A justification you were not able to obtain under the law of Moses. So take care that what the prophets have said does not happen to you. Look, you scoffers, wonder and perish. For I'm going to do something in your days that you would never believe, even if someone told you. This is the word of God for the people of God. Amen. Let's pray. Oh Lord, thank you for your word. We thank you for this season of celebrating resurrection and for your disciples who proclaimed it in all of Scripture. God, we hear that message today. Lord, as we consider the words of your Scripture together today, would you sharpen our minds? and soften our hearts, that we might know you and love you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So just like we've done in other weeks, first we'll, we'll look at the sermon that Paul has preached, that we've just read here, and the scriptures that he uses to proclaim the resurrection. Uh, and then I, I want to consider this sermon that Paul has preached as both an exhortation to us and an example for us. An exhortation to us as people who, who need to hear and, and remember resurrection, but also as an example for us as a people who are also called to proclaim resurrection. And so Paul's sermon Something uh, that may be helpful and insightful as we consider Paul's sermon here is to, to notice some of the similarities between what he has said and some of the other sermons we've already heard from throughout the book of Acts. There are a whole lot of similarities. It seems very clear. Remember, Paul uh, learned from the disciples. He, he learned from his encounter on the road. He, he went to meet with the apostles, and he learned from them as well. It seems very clear that Paul has learned this message about Jesus, because what he says is the very same message that we've already heard proclaimed time and time again in the book of Acts. Just like Stephen we read last week, Paul traces the history of Israel from the ancestors to Egypt, to the promised land, to the judges, to King David. And just like Peter did back in Acts chapter 2, Paul then connects the covenant that God had made with David to being fulfilled in Jesus. He even refers to the same passage of Scripture that Peter referred to back in Acts chapter 2. That's Psalm 16, which says, You will not let your Holy One see decay. 
Just like Peter did back in Acts chapter 2, here Paul compares and contrasts David and Jesus. Right? David received that promise, but Jesus fulfilled it. He makes this clear in verses 36 and 37 of chapter 13. Paul says, when David had served God's purpose in his own generation, he fell asleep. He was buried with his ancestors and his body decayed, but the one whom God raised from the dead did not see decay. This is all the same thing that Peter had proclaimed in Acts 2. So whether it's tracing the long story of God like Stephen did, or proclaiming the resurrection of Jesus just like Peter did, Paul's sermon has continuity with the other teachings of the early church. He's teaching the same message. He's passing on what he's heard to others. They're preaching a unified message. But... Paul does offer a particular emphasis as he shares this message, as he reflects on all these things in this sermon. We see it a few times throughout the passage as he repeats and emphasizes the word promise. The word promise is repeated a a few times. After tracing the history of Israel from the ancestors all the way up to David, in verse 23, Paul says, From this man's descendants, God has brought to Israel, this man being David, right? God has brought from this man's descendants to Israel, the Savior, Jesus, as he promised. And then after telling the story of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, in verse 32 and 33, he says, we tell you the good news. God promised our ancestors, and he has fulfilled it for us, their children, by raising up Jesus. So the recurring emphasis throughout Paul's sermon is that God has fulfilled his promises in and through Jesus. God has fulfilled his promises in and through Jesus. Now, remember, Luke and Acts are volume one and volume two of the same story by the same author. And and this this story of, of Paul's preaching reminds me a bit. In Luke chapter four, there's a story of Jesus attending a synagogue. And so he reads the scripture reading, which was a promise from the prophet Isaiah about how God's anointed one, the Christ, would come and proclaim good news. And and after reading the, the, the scripture at this synagogue gathering, Jesus says to the people, today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. In other words, Jesus says, as you have heard me reading these words of good news, you are hearing God's anointed one proclaiming words of good news. Uh, in, In other words, I am that anointed one. This promise that Isaiah has given has been fulfilled in me. 
Right? That's what Jesus said to this synagogue in Luke chapter 4. Well, this seems to be the same thing that Paul is doing here. He's attending a synagogue gathering. They've read from the scriptures, it says, from the law and the prophets. And then he's been invited to speak. And so he says, in essence, these promises that we've just read, God has fulfilled them in Jesus. They've been fulfilled in Jesus. Jesus is the one that these promises, these words speak about. God has fulfilled his promises in and through Jesus. The life, ministry, death, and resurrection of Jesus is God doing what God said he would do. God has fulfilled his promise. So as, as Paul proclaims this, there are really two foundational things that he's claiming. The first one is he's saying God is faithful. God is a faithful God. God has not forgotten about his promises. God has not forgotten about you. God is faithful. This is who God is. The second thing that Paul is claiming as he says this is that God's faithfulness is only known through Jesus. God's faithfulness is only known through Jesus. Jesus was not merely a messenger coming to say, hey, God's faithful. Jesus wasn't just a messenger proclaiming God's faithfulness. Jesus is the one in whom and through whom we experience God's faithfulness. Which is to say that God himself has come to take action in the person of Jesus. Jesus' life, ministry, death, and resurrection was God in the flesh, fulfilling God's promises. And, and Paul highlights these two things. God is faithful, and his faithfulness is, is, is known in Jesus. He, he highlights these two things as he concludes his sermon in verses 38 to 41. He finishes by saying, therefore, my friends, I want you to know that through Jesus, the forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. Through him, everyone who believes is set free from every sin. A justification you were not able to obtain under the law of Moses. So take care that what the prophets have said does not happen to you. And he quotes a warning from Habakkuk. Look, you scoffers, wonder and perish, for I am going to do something in your days that you would never believe, even if someone told you. He says, don't be those people who have heard it, but don't believe it. God's been faithful through Jesus. So don't be like the people the prophets spoke about who didn't believe. God has been faithful through Jesus, so believe in him. 
Trust in him. In and through Jesus, God has been faithful. So trust him. And that's, that's the sermon that Paul preaches. This is what Paul proclaims at this synagogue gathering by pointing to the story of Israel and the promises and the Psalms and the prophets. Paul proclaims that this story has culminated in Jesus. And it's in Jesus that all of God's promises have been fulfilled. All of this runs right alongside the other sermons that we've heard so far in the book of Acts. But there's also a difference. There's one difference, at least, that I want to highlight in Paul's sermon. One major difference between this sermon that Paul preaches and the other sermons we've read about already in the book of Acts is the audience. The audience. All of the other sermons where uh, Jesus was proclaimed and, and, and that, that we've read, the sermons of Peter, the sermon of Stephen, all of these took place in Jerusalem and were proclaimed to Jewish people. But remember, this sermon takes place while Paul and Barnabas are on a missionary journey. They're uh, a bit further out. They're, they're in Greek country. They're in Gentile territory. There are some Jews there. I mean, there's the synagogue. They're gathering. But this is a different, a different place. Notice how he addresses his audience in verse 13, or sorry, verse 16. He says, fellow Israelites and you Gentiles who worship God. Then again, in verse 26, he says, fellow children of Abraham and you God-fearing Gentiles. Do you hear it? Do you hear who he's talking to, right? Paul is not only speaking to fellow Israelites and children of Abraham. He is also speaking to Gentiles. He's speaking to a whole new audience. The audience has grown wider as the early church continues to realize the fullness and the extent of what it is that God has accomplished in Jesus. With this audience in mind, both Jews and Gentiles, Paul's conclusion becomes all the more powerful. Listen to it again. The end of his sermon, he says, through Jesus, the forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you, Jews and Gentiles. Through him, everyone, everyone who believes is set free from every sin. Everyone who believes. God is not only faithfully restoring his covenant people. In Jesus, God is faithfully restoring the whole world. He's putting everything right. He's actually doing much more 
than he had promised to his people. This is the message that Paul proclaims. Everyone can be forgiven. And so our, our final questions as, as, as we reflect on this sermon that Paul proclaims, how is Paul's sermon an exhortation to us today? And how is it an example for us? as a people who are also called to proclaim resurrection in our lives. Well, the exhortation to us, I think is the same thing he had to say to them. God is faithful. God is a faithful God. He has not forgotten about you. He's not forgotten about any of his promises. It had been quite some time since they had gotten those covenants from Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. It had been quite a long time since that, those, those covenants with Moses and the law. It had been quite a long time since the day of David, the promises that came through him. It would be very easy for the people scattered as they were to say, I guess God forgot. Or maybe none of it was true. We've been waiting a while too. It's been a couple thousand years since this sermon from Paul. Have you forgotten? Where are you? In a week like this, thank you, Linda, for beginning our service. God, where are you? Paul reminds us, God is a faithful God. He has not forgotten. He fulfills every single promise. In Jesus. In Jesus. That's the call. To trust in Jesus. The promises of God are not fulfilled in the things that we do. Uh, in, in, in us getting it all right. In us having the answer to the problems of the world. God's faithfulness is fulfilled in Jesus. And it's only as, as we look to him and trust in him that we can then join him in what he's doing to rescue and restore the whole world. And that's the other exhortation for us. Not only to trust in Jesus, but, but the conclusion of the sermon, the conclusion of Paul's sermon through Jesus, the forgiveness of sins is proclaimed. Through him, everyone who believes is set free from every sin. He, the, the exhortation to us is to live free. 
to live as free people. That's what so much of the story that he has traced is all about. The story that, that Paul has traced from the ancestors on is, is over and over again a story of freedom. Right? He tells the story of, of, of the Exodus. Right, They were enslaved in Egypt. And if we look at, at that story over and over again, God is, is inviting them, is, is calling them out of Egypt, not just to get to a land, but it says, so they can come and worship me. So they can come and worship me. Right, That's what it is to live free. I've said this so many times, and I'm going to say it again. The gospel is not about the end of our sin, although it is about that. It's so much more than that. It's not just about the end of sin. It's about the beginning of life. You've been set free from sin. So we don't have to worry about it anymore. We don't have to think about it anymore. We, there are much more important things to worry about than sin, because we've been freed. We must live as free people. The call of the gospel is to live and to live freely. This is what Paul proclaims to us today. God is faithful and you are are free. Can we live that way, trusting that God's faithfulness is something that we can actually freely live into? We can participate in the kingdom of God just as we pray for it to come. And so that's the exhortation to us. What is the example for us? Well, Paul really models that very thing in an amazing way. Paul's own story. How many of us could easily think, what, we're called to be people proclaiming resurrection? There is no way I should be proclaiming resurrection. Right? But, but Paul over and over again says, I am the chief of sinners. Right? I was, not only was I like not worried about resurrection, I was, I was actively hunting people down who were talking about it. Like, I was actively trying to silence this message. And yet here he is, an example for us that no matter where we have been or what we have experienced, we can be a people who proclaim resurrection. In fact, the worse that our story is, the more powerful our proclamation of resurrection is. The darker the pain of death, the greater the power of life and resurrection. So no matter what has happened, we can be, we are a people who proclaim resurrection. He is risen. He is risen indeed. That is the sound, the resounding call of our life. May it be so. Amen.